Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I'm so happy that we are all together this morning. We're going to enter into some worship. Would you stand if you're able and join us this morning as we sing? I'll start and then you'll answer 
Yeah. 
Good morning, Lord. It's another beautiful day in your creation. We are grateful we are able to gather together to worship you, our Creator, our Father, our Savior, our King, our Counselor, Almighty God. We praise your name, for you are indeed worthy of our praise. Father, we acknowledge that we are all sinners, that there is no one righteous, not even one. We thank you that we are washed clean through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came that all people might be forgiven and have eternal life. And so we ask that you, in your mercy and grace, would cleanse us and forgive us so we might stand holy and righteous before you. Lord, we, your people, are forever grateful for the love and blessings you have lavished upon us. We thank you for our homes, our families, our church. We thank you that though the world seems to be spinning out of control, that you, Lord, are working all things out for good. We trust you, Lord, and know you are able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine through your power within us. Father God, we pray for our world, for our country, for our leaders. Grant our leaders wisdom and discernment in an ever-changing world full of turmoil and distress. 
And we pray for one another, Lord, lifting up the needs of this community of believers. Lay your hand upon us and continue to richly bless this church. Lord, now open our hearts, our ears, our minds, as Scott teaches us about getting out of our comfort zone, stepping out of the boat in order to do our faith. As always, Lord, we thank you for all of it and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? We all wide and awake, nice and cool. You know, one of the wonderful things about living in San Diego this time of year is I get to see everybody across the United States is drenched in rain right about now. And we get this beautiful, nice little overcast day, nice, cool. I love it. So thank you all so much for, show, uh, for joining us on our wonderful Sunday morning today. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of youth ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. And I want to welcome you all to our wonderful church service this morning. On your way in, you should have received one of our fun little bulletins, our uh, worship, or not worship, our media director Josh put these fun little things together. If you notice right in the middle, there's a perforation. This top half pulls right off. My hope and prayer is that you guys would take this top half home. You would invite somebody to church. Let them know some of the wonderful things that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. So please, I don't want to see any of these laying on the ground, tossed in the trash can. If you do put it in the trash, at least put it in the bottom so that I don't see it and get sad. But please take this home, let somebody in your neighborhood, maybe a family member, a friend, let them know some of the wonderful things that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church. So please take this top half home, maybe let them know about Family Fun Night coming up this Wednesday here at La Jolla Community Church. If you've got young ones in our children's program, please come on Wednesday night for a wonderful barbecue dinner. It's going to be super, super fun, so please bring your kids, have a lot of fun. It's going to be a great and wonderful event. That's going to be this Wednesday. Uh, the bottom half of that card, this is for uh, you to fill out. Uh, this first side says, get connected with us. This is how we get you plugged in and engaged in some of the wonderful ministries like our Family Fun Night. So if you want to get involved in some of the amazing things that we've got going on here at La Jolla Community Church, please, I will not be offended. Take a moment, fill out that Connect card. Let us know how we can get you plugged in and engaged in some of our wonderful ministries here at LJCC. If you flip that card over right on the other side, it says, let us pray for you. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We have a dedicated prayer team that every single week goes individually over every single prayer request that gets turned in. It could be as small as I pray I don't have a flat tire going into work tomorrow, or maybe it's something big like a financial woe or something difficult that's going on in your life. There is no prayer that is too small. There is no prayer that is too big. Please take a moment, fill out this prayer card. Let us know what's going on in your life. Maybe you have something wonderful that you would like to praise God for. Please, please, please take a moment, fill it out, and then on your way out this morning, you can drop off your prayer and connect card in the baskets on the way out, along with your offering envelope, which is in the seat back directly in front of you. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us on this wonderful Sunday. My name is Ryan Sylvia, and I'm going to invite Scott up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Uh, if you were here last week, I was here as well, and I gave a warning that if Tiger Woods was in the hunt today, that I would make this a short service well. He's not. <laughs> so buckle up. We're going to be here for a while. I got nothing else to do. Uh, sadly, sadly, he had to withdraw from the tournament. He's hurt. He's very hurt. Poor guy. Uh, but this last week, we celebrated my daughter, uh, youngest daughter, Jane, is here, eight years old. I've been coaching her team, soccer team. We just wrapped up the soccer season, and we had this uh, season-ending party, roundtable pizza, and I give, you know, give little trophies, participation trophies, and have little speeches about each one of the girls. And I've done these, I, I, I don't know, 25 times now, these little season-ending speeches. And, and I always have a, a, a little hesitancy because I don't, I don't share the whole story. You know, you don't share the whole story about, as a coach, what you saw in each one of these players and their kids. It's the time to celebrate. It's the time to acknowledge. It's time to thank. But there's one part that I always leave out, and it's, it's, it's kind of a secret. I, I haven't really talked about it before, but it's something that I do. I find myself doing every, every time I coach, and it's not even just coaching. It's, it's almost my entire life. Uh, I, I get to a point where, I, I, you know, starting out, I have these high hopes Big dreams, and I've, I've seen enough Disney movies and these coaches and the Bad News Bears and these rug rats that, that the coach is the one that uh, kind of gels them together and, and taps into their potential, and, and there's always a moment in those movies where there's resistance and they push through, and, and then there's this new awakening and, and they win the championship, and, and it never happens, obviously. It never happens like that because, and, and a key part of it is, is the part that I have to confess, 
I tend to actually sort of give up halfway through the season. Now, I don't give up. I don't, I don't give up showing up. I don't give up practices. I, you know, I'm still positive. I'm still teaching the kids. But in, in soccer or, or, or baseball or softball or whatever I've coached, there's a point at their age where there's a, there's a threshold that they hit. And partially it's their development. Partially it's me, though. I get tired. Because I know if you've ever seen t- soccer, played soccer, coached it, there's, there's these kind of uh, uh, scaffolded skills that you need to grow in in soccer. First, you kind of need to know what to do with the ball in your feet. And it's, it's, it's about you and the ball. And, and a lot of the focus is just teaching these little skills of touching the ball right and making sure the ball doesn't go crazy. And, and that's the first part of, this, of the season and the first few practices. And then once you master that, they don't really master that at that age, but once you get a little handle on at least touching the ball, the next part is to actually maybe look up a little bit when you have the ball because another team's coming at you. And that's the next part. You, you want to help the players kind of look up and look around and get a different perspective. And maybe, just maybe, they won't run into each other. Like, it's partly safety. And if they can do that, then towards the end of the season, maybe we can get to the point where not only do they have control of the ball and they can navigate themselves around the other team, but maybe they can actually look towards their other teammates and do things like pass. And that's typically, I'll always say this, there's typically one or two of the players at that age that can even do that by the end of the season. Not, not pass because sometimes they get just terrified of the ball. They want to get rid of the ball as quickly as possible. Not that kind of pass, but actually a pass on purpose because it's part of the game. But I get to this point kind of halfway through the season where, you know, two-thirds of the players haven't really figured out the core essentials. And now we're playing and they're running into other players and, and, and we're moving on and I'm trying to, and, and we get to this point at the end of the season where it's a tournament and there's a lot of intensity by parents <laughs> who are screaming at these young children. And what happens in that, in that intensity, and it happens for anybody, when there's kind of more at risk, more where they're under threat, uh, they go, kind of go back to what they know. They kind of go lower. And they go back to just touching the ball and just kicking the ball and just kind of putting their heads down and running. And for good reason. We're all screaming at them. We're all telling, yelling at them. We want them to win as though that would then matter. Uh, it was funny. One of the girls at the end of the game, she said, did we win at the end of the tournament while I'm packing up to go home? And I was like, no, <laughs> we did not win. It doesn't matter to them, really if they win or lose, but I, I find myself, and here's the word, and this is the transition of what we're talking about today, I find myself settling. I find myself settling. And I don't think it's unique to me, and I don't think it's just unique in my life to coaching soccer. I find myself settling. Settling with how the yard looks. Settling with how the lawn appears. Settling with my schedule. Settling with the amount of money we have, settling with the pace of our schedule and our calendar, settling, don't we all settle with the depth and intimacy of our close friendships and our marriage and our relationship with our kids? We tend to just, it's this, let's just be okay with what we have kind of vibe. It's not unique to me, coaching. It's not unique to you. It's really one lens. If you pick up the Bible one lens to look at the Bible through is look how humans are just so prone to settle. Settle particularly for comfort. Settle for a comfortable life. If I could just get, and the bare minimum, the low bar, if I could just get that, then it'll be okay. And what we find, one of the key tension points from really Genesis 1 through all the way in Revelation, the story unfolds in the Bible is this tension between humans settling and God saying, no, there's more. There's more for you. I want more from you. There's more. And then this battle of, okay, we'll believe you. And then I just want to have my comfortable life again. Settling. I've been doing uh, for years professionally, been helping folks transition into the next phase of their life. So with students, Young kids, I help them transition to figure out what to do with their lives. 
And I have a company that does that. We have curriculum and we train people how to work with students, how to kind of imagine a life where you are living not just a responsible, comfortable life, but a life that's meaningful. And the other half of what we do is working with veterans who are transitioning, mostly special operators, people like Navy SEALs, uh, uh, Green Berets, these folks that are transitioning to civilian private sector life. And the biggest tension, the biggest battle, whether it's students trying to figure out what to do with them, their lives or Navy SEALs trying to figure out what job to get, is this idea of settling. You're going you're gonna to pay me to do that, and then I can, I can navigate my life, and it'll be certain, and it'll be clear, and it'll be secure. I'm in. I'll take it. It's the same thing I did as a, a teenager and then into college. Wait, if I go into accounting, I'll get a job and a good paying job, and it'll be stable and secure. My parents will be happy, and everyone will be impressed with me. I'm in. That's it. And yet, in all those scenarios, what I've found to be true is God comes knocking, to almost go from, I know your perspective is here, but there's something else for you. And that's, I believe, why we come here on Sundays, is to have a different perspective, to try to gain a sense of how God sees our lives, how God sees the world. And we actually come here, yes, to be comforted, but it doesn't seem like God is as interested in my comfort as I wish he was. Certainly, he comforts us in times of distress, in times of grief, loss, heartache. Yes, he is the God of comfort, but we often settle for that idea of God when actually he wants to make you very uncomfortable. If you're not getting uncomfortable as you look at the scriptures, if you're not getting uncomfortable as you pray, if you're not getting uncomfortable when you come to church on Sundays, we are not doing this right. We are not looking through God's perspective. We're missing it. So we're going to look at a, a, a story, a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bible, your phone, don't get distracted. But if you see the scores, the leaderboard, feel free to shout it out. <laughs> we're going to look at Acts chapter 10, and it's, it's a very unique story in, in many ways. It is, I would say, the hinge point of human history. We would not be sitting here if it were not the story in Acts 10. Now, if I were to maybe grill uh, 50 of you in the room and say, what happens in Acts chapter 10, the hinge point of history I'm not sure how many of you would be able to answer. No offense, I'm not sure if I could either. But as you read the story and as we get into it, and it's a long story with three different parts. It's a really three-act play. And we're going to not read through all of it because, again, we'd be here all day. And I got things to do. So we're going to look to Acts chapter 10. And this is one of the first times I realized I'm getting old. Last week, I was like, I don't know if I can read the font on this anymore. <laughs> today, I was like, no, I, was probably, I would probably just have blurry eyes last week. And apparently... It's, uh, it's happening to me. I'm going to pray for us as we turn to Acts chapter 10 in this really important story. God, as we, uh, as we come here to read the story, uh, we want to get your perspective. And I pray that you would help us uh, to be honest with ourselves and be honest with what we have settled for. And that we would have the humility and the openness to listen to you and your spirit who maybe wants to make us uncomfortable, who maybe has more for us, who wants to do more through us. And so help us this morning. Holy Spirit, help us to understand what you're trying to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. Now, in Caesarea, it's a, it's a, a, a port city in, in Israel, in Palestine, and, and uh, uh, this guy, he's a, he's a Roman centurion, a Roman army officer. Uh, so imagine, he is not inside the family of God. He's, he's a Gentile. He's, he's outside of the story. He's outside of the, the ethnic heritage, uh, which means that he uh, stands on the outside of a connection, a direct connection with God. And yet, there's a couple things interesting about him. Not only is he, uh, is he a, a centurion, which means he commands about 600 uh, men in his company, which is a significant, no small thing. Uh, but also, it says he's a devout, God-fearing man. Now, there were different categories uh, in, in the culture of that time. One, obviously, was Jewish people faithful to uh, the story of God. Then there were these converts, people who weren't 
uh, ethnic Jews, but they had believed in God and go so far to convert. And a part of that conversion process, especially for men, was this uh, process called circumcision. And then there's this other category of folks, uh, the third category that he fits in, who uh, said they were called like God-fears. And it's, it's a pretty wide category. What does that mean to be a God-fearer? But it, it, there's, there's certainly an affection, an affinity, some sort of belief about who God is to Cornelius and his household. Uh, and, and yet we don't necessarily know what that means for him yet. We don't know, uh, we don't know how he interacts with God. He's, he's not allowed to go to the temple. He's not allowed to have this uh, direct connection to God in the, in the religious sense. Uh, but he loves God. Uh, and somehow he's led his whole family to do the same thing. Uh, and here's another a, hint about him. He's a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Uh, interesting that those would be the two attributes of what it means to be a God-fearer. He gave generously to the poor and prayed all the time. That's pretty cool. So here's the deal. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror, which if you've read the stories of, in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, whenever there was some sort of vision or apparition or, or angel that would approach someone, they always, uh, 100% of the time, responded, except for once, responded in terror. Apparently, the figure or the, the way the angel would present itself, himself, herself, themselves, uh, would be through this uh, pretty intimidating feature. And he responds in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gift, gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a, a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with, staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Uh, reminds me of Sally by the seashore. Simon, Simon by the seashore. Simon's with Simon by the seashore. Uh, so just a couple things here. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now that's a unique term, offering, because in the, in the Old Testament, in the, in the Jewish system, an offering was something you would bring to the temple. And you would offer your offering to the priest, which would then, through ritual cleansing, give it to God. And somehow in that exchange, your heart and your family would be put into right relationship with God. Now you see a man here who loves God, but is not inside the family. And the angel doesn't come to this guy through the religious system, through the temple, at church one day. He comes outside to his home, to a Gentile's home, someone on the outside, and says, your generous giving to the poor and your prayers have made you right with God. And so you see this like alternative route that God himself is taking to, to this man. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal tenants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The message is, go get this guy. Go get this guy named Simon. And Simon is actually Peter. It's the, his uh, original name that we now know as Peter. So verse 9, the next day, this is the second part, so that was the first part of the three-part play. The second part, the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter, Simon, Peter, went up on the roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry, which is a key part. I'm always hungry by noon, too. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Also interesting. We don't think of, I don't know, it's, we don't come to church and talk about trances, do we? If you, if you started to tell me at church, you're, 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 I don't know, on, on Sunday nights doing trances, I'd be like, I'd be a little concerned. But here we have uh, Peter, the rock of the church, the father that we build everything on, in a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, uh, you're on... You're on Rocky grounds here when you're arguing with an angel, I guess. No, Lord, Peter declared, I've never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. Now, here's, here's the deal. And I love the part that it's added that Peter was hungry and has a trance, a vision. And it's something like a sheet on four corners and these animals come down. Animals, reptiles, and birds. The three classifications that in the Jewish culture from the Old Testament, you do not eat those meats. That's not what we do. 
And the understanding, the interpretation of the Jewish people to this point and still continues today is that the idea of uh, not eating those things was one, partially some sort of health standards, but secondly, to make a very distinct people. Now, God's intention, as as it's talked about in the Old Testament, is I want to uh, restrict your diet and have you follow a series of other rituals and rules and laws. One, yes, to give you some health standards. Also, too, to make you distinct from the other cultures so that you can form a people. If you've ever been around people who have been friends for a long time and you find that they have common language, common inside jokes, uh, handshakes, they have experience for decades and decades, don't you feel like you're on the outside? And that's kind of the worst version of that, isn't it? When you're hanging out with a clique and you're not in the clique, you feel like an outsider. That's the worst version of that. But God had set these people up, as it says time and time again in the Old Testament, I want to make you a distinct people so that you can have a unique relationship with God, so that you can participate in my mission, which is to bless the entire world. So that was the original intent, but they settled for the click version of it. They settled for, well, we're very special, and we're not going to eat that. And God had given them a series of rules, don't eat this, don't eat that. And they were like, no, let's, let's make it even more strict, more stringent. Let's actually restrict our diet even more. Because every time we do that, it makes us feel a little bit more special, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more unique, a little bit more highbrow. And we get to look down at all the people that, you eat birds? You eat, you eat shrimp? That's disgusting. That's not what we do. We chosen people by God. And it became this distorted version of what God had always intended. And this is Peter now being shown a sheet of the animals that he'd been born and raised and his entire people had said, we do not eat those because we are God's chosen people. We would never do that. And here the vision from God himself is saying, get up and eat these things. So Peter's having a moment. Peter's having a moment where he doesn't understand what you're talking about. I'm trying, Peter's trying to be faithful to God. And yes, he spent three years with Jesus, and he saw Jesus die and come back, and and now Peter himself has the Spirit of God in him and through him, and these powerful signs and wonders are happening all around. But nonetheless, Peter was still in this box of this is what it means to be faithful to God. And if we take a step back, the perspective of taking a step back, it's almost like it's almost like the direction of where the Spirit is moving Peter and moving this Roman centurion officer is back to the original idea in the first place, that all people would be blessed, that all people would be restored to relationship with God. All people. And Peter, arguing, I've never done this before, but the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has now declared it clean. And then the same vision, I love this, the same vision was repeated three times. Peter, we know you're a little slow on things, slow in the uptake. Peter, I know you, and, and that's partially the joke. Peter had denied Jesus three times. There's, there's some references there, but there's, this is such a mind shift for Peter. His entire life he had done this. He had never broken the rules. And it was all because he honored God. And that was the way that you loved God, was through living into these rules. And now all of a sudden, in the flash, in an announcement, a proclamation, in a trance, he says, no, that's over. And so Peter needs it to settle in. And uh, the underscore there is when we settle, we actually don't just need one reminder. I know like me, if you're like me, you need more than one reminder. You need, you got thick skulls. I've got a thick skull. God has more for you. And I will say, yeah, 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 I know. But I go back to my life. God has more for you. Yeah, 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 I know. But I just go back to my routine and the way I see things and who I spend time with and who I don't spend time with. These things inside of us are so powerful. The way we see, the way we live, the routines we get in, the the values that we create, the rules, the right and wrong, the, the we don't hang out with them or we don't go near them or we don't talk to them or that becomes so deeply entrenched in us that it seems like God needs to go to extraordinary measures to help us see the way he sees. It's not that simple. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? (laughs) What could this vision mean? I love that. 
what could this mean? That would be my hope as you walk out today, that you would also be perplexed, unsettled, maybe a little disturbed, maybe a little bit, I don't know, is there something else out there? Is there another way to think about these things? Is there another way perhaps, am am I perhaps limiting or settling for things and God has more? That would actually be a holy thing to do, to be perplexed. Does God have more for you? Does God have more for me? Is God trying to get your attention? Is God trying to move you to see what he sees? I hope you are perplexed by that. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius, here comes the, the really kind of the third part. Uh, just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling still over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, these men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, go with them. And I'm going to skip a bunch because it basically just goes into the, the details, this narrative detail, which uh, uh, one helpful thing to do that I found reading the Bible is to ask, why is this here? Uh, imagine a world where they didn't have a lot of extra paper. Uh, imagine a world where they didn't have uh, a, a lot of extra pens. Uh, when, when what you would capture on paper for all time would be pretty important and strategic. In other words, no throwaway words, no throwaway details. Why is there such detail about this story? It's almost like Acts goes by this whole book fast, 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 and then this story just takes forever. Like they went from here to there, and the angel was doing this, and, and, and and the church grew, and this guy died, and this guy became, and then they spend like this whole long, I listened to her this morning on a walk. It took a guy nine minutes just to read this story. Nine minutes. I looked down. I was like, oh my gosh, nine minutes. I can't do that today. I got to go watch golf. Uh, Nine minutes just to read this story. And here's the, the, where it goes. Uh, These three men sent by the guy who had the vision. Go get this guy and bring him back. And he says, well, and, and it's late in the day. So they spend the night and then they travel. It's 30 miles to go travel. Whether they walked or on a donkey, I don't know how they got there, but he finally gets there. And you just watch Peter being now invited into this man's home. He had never done that before. Jewish people didn't go into people's homes, Gentile people's homes. That would make them unclean. And if you're unclean, that prohibits you from interacting with God. So I just want to, sh- it's, it's these two perspectives where God had set up this idea, I'm going to make you unique, your own rules, And it's going to be through you that people understand God's character and experience God's goodness and generosity and mercy and power and love and grace. That's how God set up the people. But they had taken that and said, no, no, we're going to be alone and going to be restrictive and are going to be small and we're going to settle for God just giving us comfort. It's not going to be through us. We're actually going to protect ourselves more and more and more. And the fences that they created, that was actually a term they used. There was fencing around them. And it wasn't just literally like fences and walls, although they had them. It was these rules. You can't even get close to us. We won't even associate with you. We won't even get near you. Because their understanding of it was, if we get near you, we're going to get infected by you. And if we get infected by you, then we won't have what we want, this comfort, this, this blessing from God. And if you see this like multiple thousand year battle that God has with that, that is not the story. God had always set it up that it would be through you, that you would, all of you would be going out into the world. From the very beginning of Genesis and this, the beginning story, it's, uh, scholars call it the cultural mandate, where uh, uh, God says, be fruitful and multiply and go off and subdue the earth and have mastery over it. The idea that scholars call that the cultural mandate because in this one central location where Adam and Eve were were created and then God's command, it's one of the few commands God has where God says, I want you to go out into the world. And scholars understand that if if you go out into the world and you spread out, 
there is inherently in, baked into that mandate, you're going to build and create culture, and it's going to be different. The people that settle in Africa and the, and the topography there and the climate there and the food there and the clothing there, that's going to create culture. And the people that go more north, like the Vikings and up in northern Europe, and it's the, the, the climate, the topography, the, all that stuff, and then they're going to, that's going to be so different. That's going, to be, that's going to be culture. And culture is the way you do things. Culture is the norms. Culture is uh, what works around here. And look at us. Look at these people. The story, the theme of settling. Settling in my own preservation. Settling into my own comfort. Settling in, I don't know, we've got to maintain our culture. We've got to preserve our culture. We've got to hold on to our culture. And it seems like God's been saying since the get-go, no, that's not the way it works. I want you out. I want you going. I want you moving. I want you puzzled and perplexed. I want you uncomfortable. And we're going to get into why in just a minute. Peter goes to his house, and what we see in the story that I won't read is, is Peter externalizes his own discomfort. And he says multiple times, essentially, I don't know what I'm doing here coming into your home. This is not what we do. He doesn't need to say that. They know that. They've never had a Jewish man in their home before. They know it. It's, it's so, it, it, you know, uh, remember that scene in Field of, the, Field of Dreams where the player goes out into, finally into the, the cornfield, and as soon as he crosses that, he knows it all changes. It's that same invisible line on the door thresholds. We do not cross this, and Peter just is overtly saying, probably at his own uh, puzzlement, his own embarrassment, his own uh, fear, his own uncertainty, guys, I just don't, we just don't do this. And they're like, we know, but I mean, I got an angel, you got an angel is telling us to come in, let's, let's make this thing happen. And then he gets in there, and ultimately Peter then unpacks and tells the story of Jesus to these folks. And, and, and what happens, again, I won't read it, but you can, uh, what happens is these people experience the same thing the apostles had experienced just a few moments before in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes in power to these people. The people who were not inside the family of God. They were not in the chosen tribe. They hadn't been following the rules and regulations. Sure, they had respect for God, but they weren't inside the clan. They hadn't followed the rules. They hadn't uh, done the rituals. They hadn't done any of that. And God is now leading Peter. Come over here. Go inside his house. Share it. And I want to show you, Peter, what happens, what God is doing, what the Spirit is up to. And the Spirit of God comes in power into this uh, Gentile home. And then afterwards, uh, uh, Peter's like, well, you know, it seems like God is up to something here. We might as well baptize them. Does anybody have any problems with that? Is, and it's almost like given a moment, God, I'm, gonna, I'm about to baptize these folks. And it's an interesting sequence of events. It seems like God is up to something before Peter even gets there before he brings the message. It seems like these people were having God do something inside them. Isn't that something that we all wish was true? As we get into our own, uh, managing our own affairs, uh, keeping our routine, making our life guarded, building our walls, navigating who we will hang out with and who we won't hang out with, it seems like God is trying to open up the aperture, widen our perspective to help us see what he is up to. And it seems like the invitation for Peter and the invitation for you and I is to move, move through our thresholds, move through our resistance, move through our discomfort. And on the other side of that is when God shows up in powerful ways. So I, 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 don't, know, uh, I don't know your invitation this morning. I do know this I do know this, that God wants us to become unsettled. And, and for multiple reasons. Number one, all people are made in God's image. He, they, he literally, like you, even though you're so different than me, you are a reflection of, an expression of who God is. And you have a glimpse of that. You have a different piece of that. You have a different reflection of that than I do. And so I, I actually want to move towards you because I want to see more of God. I want to see your perspective. I want to see the, the way in which you reflect that. I want to see that. 
Secondly, you have a blessing to offer. Peter gets used by God. And I'm going to share a story in just a minute that I think can underscore that. Third, there's a gift for you. Uh, Peter's entire world gets turned upside down. He'd never been inside a Gentile's home. The rest of the uh, history is the, the story of God breaking through those barriers. And now again, we are here because of that moment. And finally, uh, because God is already at work. I remember uh, uh, early in my college days, I just, I never spent time with uh, Christians before. I'd never gone to church before. I'd never read the Bible before. I'd never prayed, never thought about God. And all of a sudden, uh, something happened. It was a girl. I'll tell that story another time. And I started to uh, hang out with a bunch of Christians and start to read the Bible. And uh, if I could just maybe win her over, then I don't know, I was into it. And then these stories started to make, uh, I don't know, make sense was not the right word, but they started to draw me in. And uh, my entire sophomore year, early part of my sophomore year of college, was, um, I, I guess, more or less, obviously, finding God, but also uh, just investing in my own curiosity about who God was. And it meant a lot of time, a lot of time that I was spending in uh, uh, going to events, going to uh, church events, and uh, reading the Bible, doing a small group, Bible study. It's my wife, it was a different girl, my wife uh, lived down the hall and had this Bible study for other students in this apartment complex, and I went, and I was going all the time, and and there was this one roommate, and, it was, and, and I had decided to live with these three other guys uh, who, two of them, were also already into that, into the God thing and do, doing all these ministry events. But there was one roommate that wasn't. And, uh, and he and I had been friendly our, our freshman year. I didn't really know him well. But for months, months, almost every single day, we would all kind of get dressed and then leave to go to an event. And then we'd come back two or three hours later. And it would have been an exciting event. Maybe it was a bonfire. Maybe it was a Bible study. Maybe it was a service project. And we would be talking about that thing. And we'd have our own, like, inside jokes. And then he'd be sitting there and just kind of, like, going along. And I remember feeling, after maybe two or three months, I'm like, this feels a little awkward. Uh, I'm brand new to this. I feel like maybe we should invite that guy. And the other two, other two guys who had been into uh, Christians their entire life, they're like, oh, yeah, he'll come if he wants. And I'm like, nah, I think we should probably just, like, actually invite him to come. And they're like, no, nah, he'll come. We don't want to make him uncomfortable. And I just kept reading the Bible. Like, well, God, it seems like God wants to use me to bless other people and invite people into experiencing God. So I went to a friend of mine who's much older, uh, much more mature. I didn't know anything. And I was like, hey, I think we should, like, uh, I don't know, invite him and maybe even ask him what he thinks about all this stuff. What does he think about God? I don't know anything about it. I've never talked to him about it. Have you? And my friend said, no, I've never talked about it either. So what? Well, why don't we hang out with them? Why don't we talk? Why don't we specifically hang out with them to talk about spiritual things? And I said to my, my friend who has been a Christian his whole life, I'm like, you're going to have to like lead this conversation. I know nothing. And he goes, okay, we'll do it. We invited this guy out one night. It was a Friday night. I said, hey, let's go hang out with a bunch of guys tonight. Do you want to come? He's like, sure. And about 10 minutes into it, I was so incredibly uncomfortable. I didn't want to, I don't know. I, don't, I was taught never to talk about these kinds of things. And yet, I just, I don't know, it just felt like there's something here that God was inviting me to say something, do something. So I just turned to him, I was like, hey, hey, Josh, what, you see us going to all these things. And this is, I don't know if you know this, I'd never done this before. Like two months ago, I'd never talked about God, never read the Bible. I'm like, so where are you at in all that? And he all of a sudden says, oh my gosh, well, um, and I, I wish I'd remembered the questions that he had. He said, I have all these questions all these questions about God and the Bible and dinosaurs and I don't know. And I, I chimed in a few times, but it was really my friend who'd been mature in the faith, grown, born and raised in church and Bible studies, ministry. He answered a lot of the questions as well as any other 19-year-old could at that point. And uh, we talked for three hours. We went hiking in this canyon, middle of the night, like midnight. And towards the end of it, he the conversation was just flowing so well. And, and, and our friend Josh kept saying, that's amazing. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. And I, again, I didn't know anything, but I said, Josh, it seems like God's doing something. Like, uh, and the feeling that I've had for the last couple of months, uh, it seems like you're having a similar experience. And he's like, yeah. I mean, I'm, I kind of want to be all in on this. And I looked at my friend and I'm like, I, I, and, and my friend looked at me, he's like, I don't know. I said, well, you know what I decided to do is I decided to pray and actually have a moment where I, I committed that I would uh, pursue God with my life. And I told God, I want to follow you and 
I said, do you want to do that? And he's like, sure, yeah. And I look at my friend, and he's like, oh. I said, well, I mean, okay, go ahead and pray. <laughs> and then Josh is like, uh, you know, God, I think you probably maybe are real, and I, I want to, yeah, I don't want to, I don't even remember what he prayed. And, and, I, and I was like, amen. And we start walking home, and this is the part that I'll never forget. Uh, we're walking back, and, uh, and, and Josh says to the two of us, kind of walking in between us, He's like, do you guys know how long I've been waiting for you to have this conversation with me, to bring this up? And I look over at Dave, and I'm like, see? (laughs) God had been up to something already. And on the other side of my discomfort was me being able to participate in God doing something pretty neat and powerful. And it all comes back to, I continue to manage my life and overmanage my life to be settled and get comfortable. I can't stand, I mentioned this last week, I don't like when people invite me to things. I don't like, I don't like having, uh, uh, of course I have like business goals and kind of aspirations, but I, the idea of really moving towards something and, and trying something new, it just, it sounds so exhausting. And, uh, and if I can't YouTube it in a minute, I'm like, ah, it just takes too much energy and I'd rather just understand and, and be able to manage my life and and God continues through stories like this, say, I'm, I'm bigger than this. I'm bigger and beyond what you can imagine. And I know I continue to have all these perspectives that were passed on to me, probably by my family, probably by my friends, probably by my culture, probably by the way my skin looks, probably by where I grew up. All these perspectives that I, I, I just won't They don't seem like barriers to me, but God is slowly revealing more and more, no, that's a wall, that's a fence. And I want to invite you to move through that and over that. And I continue to say, ah, I don't know. It's just so uncomfortable to do that. And then I come here, and we come here, and we read stories, and we remind and tell each other stories of what's true and what's real and who God is and how he's moving and how he wants to use you. And I know I want to be a part of that. So I'm going to pray and lead you in prayer. If you're willing to pray this, then just kind of make this prayer your own too. God, I, uh, I believe that you are at work. I believe that every person and every tribe and every tongue and every culture and every race and ethnicity is made by you. And I confess that my own hesitation to being uncomfortable, to be outside my comfort zone, to, uh, to make a fool of myself, to uh, hang out with people that I've just been taught not to, that, that is a problem for me. That's a barrier to me. And, and I don't even see it. Most of the time, I don't even see it. But I believe you are at work, not only to use me to bless other people, but I believe that on the other side of that is you blessing me. And so I commit to being more uncomfortable. I open myself up, God, for you to lead and to guide. I will listen to your voice inviting me, calling me, telling me to move outside of my normal routine, my comfort zone, uh, because I trust you and I believe you are moving and that you're already at work. So help me. Give me the courage. Give me the courage to move towards people, not away from them, Help me to see my justifications for what they are. And help me to not settle. God, we love you. We want you to lead us. We want you to move through us and in us. And we pray for more. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for being here. You're invited to come out and have coffee and food and come back here if you like at 11 a.m. for what we call conversations. We get to dig in and talk more about what's going on in our lives, what God is up to. But now, may God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you and remind you of how much he loves you. And may God the Spirit help you be more loving, more patient, and more kind. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.